It's noon here in Ventnor City, New Jersey, and 9 a.m. in Sacramento, California. And this is news that you can use from Car Edge for Thursday, September 28th, with your host, me, Ray. And filling in once again for my son, not Zach, is Justice. And uh, Justice, how are you? How are you doing today? I know you're a little under the weather. I'm a little under the weather, but making it through, trying to get through all this uh, sunny, wonderful weather here. Trying to do the best I can. Well, well, we appreciate that. And and in order to take some of the pressure off of you today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Joshua Fagan, a consumer attorney in Florida who practices in Florida, D.C., and Vermont. Apparently only does Vermont in the uh, summer because it's a little cooler than Florida, <laughs> which makes total sense to me. Uh, let's Let's bring Joshua into the show. Joshua, how are you this morning? Good morning. Good afternoon. How are you guys? Uh, We are well. We are are so thrilled to have you here. Was my guess that you only practice in Vermont in the summer? Was that correct on my part or is that just... It's definitely cooler up there, I hear. Well, I can assure you. (laughs) (laughs) It is definitely cooler up there in the summer. So, Joshua, you have been practicing consumer law for how long now? Approximately six years now. Okay, and and unfortunately, there's enough uh, um, nonsense going on in the world that well, you can make a living doing this. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, unfortunately, unfortunately, it. that's the case. And as people like to say, South Florida is a sunny place for shady people. You, and, you know, and I, and that is the most apt description <laughs> of of the state in which you reside that I have ever heard. I, I, yes, it I is. I know you sent Zach an email the other day um, mm-hmm. about an issue that that seems to be popping up um, in Florida. I don't know if it's popping up elsewhere. Can you can you describe this new issue on on leases that that you're you're starting to get hit with? Sure. So basically, a consumer decides to approach GM for a lease buyout option, which is basically an opportunity for the consumer to buy out the vehicle at the end of the lease term. They speak with the the, uh, customer service representative. They get information on how to proceed with the buyout. And one of two things happens. Either they go through with the buyout at the dealership and then are later informed that they cannot do so because of some sort of mileage discrepancy and that they need to bring the vehicle back Mm -hmm. and then redo the paperwork so that the vehicle's title is branded as true mileage unknown. or They tell them straight up from the get-go that um, effectively the buyout cannot occur until such time that they basically check off the box on the title that the the mileage is unknown and they cannot proceed onwards with the transaction unless uh, the the mileage is being disclosed as true mileage unknown. So as a result, a lot of consumers are being stuck between a rock and a hard place. They're being um, effectively put in a position where they're being blamed for some sort of mileage discrepancy and are not being able to proceed onwards with the buyout transaction unless they agree to brand the title. And the alternative that GM is providing them, and it's not much of an alternative, at least a viable one, uh, they're offering the consumer to return the vehicle to GM, who is then going to sell the vehicle at auction, disclosing that the mileage is inaccurate, and then pursuing the consumer for the deficiency between what the, the amount that they realize at auction is versus the fair market value of the vehicle. So it's either you purchase the vehicle and you sign off on the title that the true mileage is unknown, and therefore 
the title is going to be branded. There's going to be a stigma on the vehicle. You're not going to resell the vehicle for as much as nearly as much as it's worth when you do decide to resell it. Or you cannot exercise your lease buyout option. You can return the vehicle and then we'll pursue you for the deficiency between what we actually get at auction versus what the vehicle fair market value is. Now, now when 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 they say fair market value, are they saying what the residual value was for the lease? No, it's my understanding that they're pursuing either the NADA or the Blue Book uh, valuation for that week or the Mannheim CR report. Well, that really doesn't sound particularly fair since there was a future value of, of the vehicle that was listed the day that the people entered into the lease. Sure, sure. And, I mean, this whole thing stinks from all heaven. <laughs> um, and and I'm assuming that the consumer has no idea that there's suddenly this discrepancy in, in mileage. I mean, they're just going off what shows on their odometer. Yeah, they have no idea whatsoever of what occurred, how it happened. Uh, most of these individuals are upstanding citizens, at least all of them, in my opinion. I have no reason to believe otherwise. Uh, they bring the vehicle in for repairs and maintenance to the dealership that they leased it from or a franchise dealership. A few of them have taken the vehicles to independent mechanics. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, th- there's no indication that they have any idea of what's going on or what what may be at issue. Uh, there is some chatter online at, at different forums that there may be certain modules within the GM drivetrain that mm-hmm. are susceptible to malfunctions. And it's my understanding, based upon my cursory review of everything, uh, there are certain modules that will monitor the mileage, the ABS module, the transmission module, the actual main computer, so on and so forth. And when one of those uh, goes, you know, there's some sort of malfunction and there's a difference between the logged mileage between all the other ones, that's where the red flag pops up. But when you know these consumers press GM for information and, and records and proof and just give me something, show me what you see so we understand what's going on, yeah. GM refuses to provide them with anything at all. And they say, well, you know very well what you did. You, we don't have to give you anything. Uh, either you know take it or leave it and go pound sand. So, so, it, so help, help me understand, if, if a consumer did nothing, um, to suggest to the consumer that you know very well what you did and and their response could be, yeah, I drove your POS um, for as long as I've driven it. And for whatever reason, now you're telling me the odometer isn't working properly or isn't recording the mileage properly. Um, how is it that they that they feel as if they, they don't have to provide that information to a customer? It's kind of a rock and a hard place type of situation. It's either you take it or leave it. And until you file a lawsuit, they're not going to really help out a consumer. That, and they understand that that not many consumers are going to actually pursue legal action. So it's one of those situations where, you know, it's a David and Goliath type of issue. Um, and, and let me guess the consumer would be David here. How'd you guess? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, which, which, which at least for me brings up, an interesting question. I mean, because, I mean, you know, you represent consumers in cases all the time. Um, Unfortunately. Well, yeah, but somebody's got to do it. Yeah. We thank yeah. you. We thank you for being the one who's doing it. Um, I would imagine that even if you're suing a dealer, not necessarily the manufacturer, but just the dealer, that dealer is a Goliath compared to your client who is David, who can just, 
I don't know, outspend the customer to finally give up making a claim. Uh, how, how do you how do you how do you deal with that? Simple. We do the exact same thing. We dig our heels in and we fight like hell. At the end of the day, we're here to help the consumer. And, you know, a, a lot of times dealerships do engage in litigation for years on end in order to either one, dissuade the consumer from pursuing the claims any further or two, send a chilling effect within the community to not pursue that particular dealership. There is one particular dealership in South Florida. I'm not going to name any names because I have plenty of enemies as it is, but they will go the mile in litigation. They will appeal. And then if they do prevail, it's one of the few dealerships that actually will enforce their prevailing party judgment against the consumer, irrespective of how little and, and how little they make, how few assets they have in order to send that chilling effect through the community. Um, that being said, at the end of the day, it is a very real issue. It's something that we deal with almost on a daily basis in my office. And at the end of the day, it's just part of the job. Is, 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 there, is there more that the state should be doing on behalf of the consumers? Um, in, 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 well, I mean, your, your practice is mostly in Florida. Is, is there something the state should be doing? For- it would be very, very nice to see them take a more hands-on approach. I'll put it to you that way. Uh, unfortunately, my experience has been that DMV complaints, complaints to the Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, Office of Financial Regulation, what have you, generally get closed out without much ado. Uh, the consumer will file the complaint. Sometimes it starts off with the Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. The Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services then forwards it to the DMV. The DMV assigns a local examiner. They review the matter. They try to mediate a resolution with the dealership. But at the end of the day, all they can do is issue a citation and then provide bonding information for the consumer to pursue the bond. Um, very rarely have I seen uh, the either the DMV or the Department of Agriculture take a hands-on approach and actually pursue either a dealership or a lender. And you know, it's unfortunate, but it's also at the same time, it's understandable given the where we are and given the amount of fraud and the proliferation of fraud. They're they're just short staffed, in my opinion. They have to dedicate their efforts where they can make the most difference. And unfortunately, if they went and they chased down every single complaint that a consumer filed against the dealership, I, I think they would run out of resources when probably within the first week. But, <laughs> but, but, I, let me ask you a silly question. And this is this is just a silly question. Let me give you a silly answer. It, it, it would seem to me, and. I, I don't know for a fact, but it would seem to me that they can they can check their statistics on the types of complaints they're getting and who those complaints are against. And I'm just guessing that there would be an inordinate amount of complaints against automobile dealerships in the state. So statistically speaking, if there are many more complaints against automobile dealers than other consumer complaints. Why the hell wouldn't you put some resources to that and try and do something about it? I, I wish I could give you an answer. I, you I probably, wish I had. You probably can. The answer is um, automobile yeah. dealer associations and lobbying efforts. Would I, I don't disagree. Yeah. like i said i have plenty of enemies as it is so okay well then i will just say it Hmm. joshua would joshua would not say this 
But I, you just have to believe that the political buying power from automobile dealer groups dissuades our our elected officials from actually serving the constituents that they're elected to serve. Particularly when some of these elected officials are either stakeholders or close family members of some of these dealership groups. Yep. There's a lot of uh, elected politicians who are part of dealership groups. And, uh, you know, we were looking at that when we were going through the NADA stuff and, uh, you know, killing the EPA rules. I, I was very surprised at how many elected officials have hands in, in dealerships. Oh, yeah. It, it, I'm going to ask you another silly question because you, you know me well enough to know that I'm just full of silly questions. If you, if you as a consumer affairs attorney in the state of Florida could wave a magic wand to get the state to take a, a a more consumer centric view of what con- consumer affairs means um w- what is it that you would if if you had that magic wand what is it that you would ask um the consumer affairs divisions of whether it be at the state level or the local level to actually do more hands-on approaches to regulating the day-to-day activities of the dealership I think that there isn't enough supervision over the dealership employees. And one of the biggest um, excuses, for lack of a better term, that I have, that I receive at least, is that it was a rogue employee that we had no idea that they were doing this. (laughs) And, you know, if they could extend that enforcement power to not just the dealership itself, but the individuals within that dealership, I think that would change things very quickly. Mm-hmm. At least it would put some fear of God in some of these individuals who relatively operate with impunity. What I've seen personally is that there will be particular F&I managers that will get caught in forgery. And for one reason or another, they get shifted around from one store to another store to another store to make it appear as if that they were let go from that store. They were reassigned because of whatever they did additional uh, you know, some sort of continuing education or, you know, some sort of reprimand, whatever, and they put them in a different store. And then they eventually wash out and they just go to a different dealership group. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if those individuals actually had to f- face state regu- regulators and actually get some sort of, uh, you know, fine or something of that nature, then I think things would change. Um, that's that's really, I, I think, starting from the bottom level, it would have definitely help out. In, 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 in Florida, do they do salespeople and F and I people? Do they have to be licensed? Not that I'm aware of. Oh wow! Because I know in Maryland, when I when I worked in Maryland, you even as a sales manager or a general manager, you had to have a sales license from the state. Now I don't know that they really did any severe background checks, other than the fact that they were very happy to cash that hundred dollar check that you had to give them so that you could get licensed. Sure. And then, you know, every year you'd have to give them another hundred dollar check to renew the license. But sure. It, I, are, I, I don't are, think that's an issue in Florida. I don't think that's something that occurs in Florida. Um, okay. As it stands now, my, my experience has been that just about anybody with a pulse can get a dealership license. So I can't imagine that there's any sort of licensing or regulation of the FNI managers. I have taken a few of their depositions and I would be very surprised if they were licensed. Wow. Yeah. Um, Are are there, are there 
laws and regulations on the books in Florida against uh, bait and switch advertising, um, things of that nature? Most certainly. Under Florida's Deceptive Unfair Trade Practices Act, there is a particular section that deals with bait and switch advertising as well as local ordinances. I can't recall all of them off the top of my head, but I do know Miami-Dade has a pretty, pretty, you know, surprisingly, and to the credit of Miami-Dade County, um, they have pretty strong consumer protection ordinances and they go above and beyond where they have an entire division that is dedicated towards consumer services with enforcement powers. And they routinely do enforcements. Um, and bring enforcement actions. Some of them end up in criminal proceedings even. Um, that being said, nah. <laughs> what, what what does an enforcement action look like? Uh, depends on the circumstances. Sometimes uh, local PD will come in along with the regulatory examiner or compliance officer and check the books, check the circumstances, check the dealership. If they get enough complaints, they might check uh, prior uh, transactions, you know, go through X amount of them to see what happened there. Um, you know, for mechanic shops, they'll look for relevant licenses. They'll search around to see if there's any stolen parts, stolen vehicles, that type of stuff. If they find something, they'll, or if they believe they find something, they'll issue a citation with a notice to appear. And then there's a later, uh, either a civil or a criminal proceeding that results as, as you know, in, in furtherance of that. Justice, you look like you have a question or 10. Uh, no, yeah. So, I mean, it's just very different than what I've uh, out here in California. You know, even the salespeople have to have a uh, license and, you know, they go through a review and, and, you know, there's a whole list of things. Like if you do A, B and C, you can have your license revoked and that would be for any sale. So I also have a real estate license. Don't hate me. Um, Don't worry. I'm a recovering uh, realtor as well. Yeah. <laughs> So like if my dealer license as a salesperson uh, had been suspended, that would have suspended my real estate license as well. So, uh, you know, hmm. I look at some of this and I, you know, it's sort of foreign to me out here, but I know, um, you know, I've dealt with Florida for about three years now almost. Um, and I've tried to contact the attorney general five times now and not gotten a single, not even an email to say, hey, we, we received it. Just nothing in response on some of this. And so, you know, I, I wonder, you know, as you say, you, you, some of these dealers down in South Florida will send the chilling effect. I almost think, doesn't that what the attorney general needs to do? Just pick one and to send the chilling effect through the industry that we will come after you. And I'm wondering why they're not doing that other than what we already discussed, which is the exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and a prime example of, you know, the, the lack of follow through, the lack of, of any sort of, um, you know, enforcement by the, the state, a uh, few, I want to say, that's, I think I believe it's been about a year already. Um, the attorney general office issued subpoenas to several dealership groups that were being accused of overcharging consumers for lease buyouts. And, you know, it was surprising to me that they actually took the, took this upon themselves, but I can imagine that there was so much backlash from the public that they couldn't do any, they, they couldn't not do anything for lack of a better term. They couldn't ignore it anymore. Yeah. Exactly. They, they couldn't ignore it anymore. Um, to this date, I, I don't believe there's been any sort of follow through. I don't believe anything has occurred to those dealerships. I don't believe anything's come to light. Obviously I'm not privy, nor is the public privy to what's going on behind the scenes during an investigation, but I can't imagine that it would take this long for the attorney general's office to figure out what the lease says versus what the consumer is being charged 
and seeing that it occurs on almost every, if not every, then almost every single transaction that goes through that dealership. So it's just a sign of, of what we're dealing with down here and, and it's unfortunate. What, what other, what other issues uh, from the consumer side of things do you see uh, uh, popping up on a more frequent basis these days? Well, I mean, the lease buyouts, <laughs> that's been something that's been <laughs> proliferating my practice for a lot, over a year at this point, uh, nonstop. It's just absolutely absurd. And, and for any of the viewers that don't know what I'm talking about, effectively, a lease agreement has a lease buyout provision. It's supposed to state in very particular terms how much the consumer is to be charged at the end of the lease term to buy out the vehicle, along with any charges that need to be charged to effectuate that purchase option. Well, uh, I have yet to see a single consumer that comes to me that doesn't have a claim for an overcharge. Uh, stated differently, almost every single consumer that has submitted a case evaluation with their lease agreement and buyout contract has been overcharged in one way or another for that buyout. Um, it's either it's, it, there are a few variations of it. One, they'll just flat out increase the the value of the vehicle. Hey, if you want to buy it from us, this is what it is. Take it or leave it. Another another variation is hey. Uh, we need to inspect your vehicle to make sure that it's roadworthy. We yeah. can't sell this vehicle to you, although we're going to sell it to you as is with at least 16 different disclaimers and different <laughs> and, and styles and everything under the sun, uh, you know, disclaiming any sort of liability in this transaction. Uh, but we need to inspect it and we're going to charge you for the benefit of inspecting this vehicle. Oh, by the way, we're not even going to put it on a lift. And in fact, we're not even going to hook up a computer to it. We're just going to do a tire <laughs> kit. Thank you very much. That's $1,500. Uh, another variation is the exact same thing I just mentioned, but in order to be able to purchase this vehicle, you need to certify it. It needs to leave as a yeah. certified pre-owned vehicle. Uh, I've learned that there are some um, lease servicers who are effectively allowing the dealerships to wrap in the CPO and the inspection fee into the amount financed. So the lease servicer knows the exact amount that's listed in the lease agreement to buy out the vehicle. They know how much is owed. And that same lease servicer, while it might be a different uh, corporate entity, it still falls under the same ambit, are now financing an amount above and beyond the lease residual or the lease purchase option value, plus the buyout fee, plus the option fee, plus the inspection fee, plus the CPO fee. So... It's it's really been an issue, and and what's really disheartening is a lot of the dealerships don't learn their lesson, and the reason why I say that is when I get a check in from one of these dealerships following a settlement or a final adjudication, either in arbitration or in court, all of a sudden I see uh, I'm not going to name names, but certain insurance companies on those checks, mm -hmm. whereas usually it's the dealership that's paying this. So I, I've kind of put two and two together. I'm, I'm you know not the sharpest tool in the shed. But when you see an insurance carrier on a check, it's obvious that there was insurance coverage and they're covering these type of matters under an ENO policy. So it's unfortunate. ENO being errors and omissions? Errors and omissions. They're setting up the, the claim that this is a one-off circumstance. This is, you know, somebody keyed in the amount wrong or whatever excuse they want to sell to their insurance carrier just to get coverage. Um, but it is my position, you know, you do it once, you do it twice, you do it a month long period, then maybe, sure, fine. But if I see transactions that occurred after our settlement was inked, I know damn well it's not a uh, accident. It's it's really the way that you're doing business. Um, but yeah. until the money starts coming out of the pockets, I don't think they're going to care much and they're just going to keep on falling back on their insurance carriers. 
So aside from that, which has really been the crux of, of <laughs> at least the bane of my existence, um, there has been also an influx in repossessions. I, I, I do believe it's a sign of the times. I am getting an influx of potential clients calling me for case evaluations regarding repossessions. Uh, it, some of them, yes, they're in default. However, the way that the vehicle is being is is repossessed breaches the peace and causes the consumer damages one way or another. Either you know personal property is damaged in the process of the repossession, they're being threatened, what have you. And then other times there's repossessions in absence of a default altogether. Where and this really happens more so with buy here pay here lenders that are lacking inventory or they just want to churn deficiencies and, and pursue these consumers. Um, a lot of times my clients will come to me, hey, I have absolutely, you know, I have, here's my payment history. I have insurance on the vehicle. You know, the vehicle is running fine. There's no issues with it. Uh, I have no idea why they repossessed my vehicle. And it's usually the smaller mom and mom and pop buy here, pay mm -hmm. here that, are, that are doing that. Josh, can I, can, can, can we go back to the lease thing for one second? Gladly. Um, you, you say many times you see that the, the check for the damages is actually issued by the insurance company under their errors and omissions policy at the dealership. Can there be a case at a certain point where the same dealership keeps making the same type of claim and the insurance company keeps paying that claim under errors and omissions where the insurance company suddenly says, Hey, wait a second. This is this is not an error and a mission. This is the way you're doing business, and you're expecting us to cover that expense for you. Is there a way for the insurance companies to then um, bring a claim against the, a dealership that might be doing that on a regular basis? Frankly, that falls a little bit outside of my wheelhouse. However, what I would imagine is going to happen is that they're going to effectively, um, you know, terminate the policy, or at the end of the day, they, there might be some sort of indemnification situation. But my belief is that there is going to be a coverage dispute at that point and that the dealership may very well retain counsel and sue the, the, the insurance carrier to figure out whether or not they were dropped properly. And then when you kind of juxtapose this against the background of the value of these claims, realistically speaking, they're about settling for less than 20 grand, right? Mm -hmm. When you look at a coverage dispute and how much is going to cost the carrier to defend and proceed on with the coverage is it just doesn't make sense for them sometimes. And they'll just kind of turn that blind eye and just keep on that relationship and they'll make up for it in their, in their premium increase in the next uh, go around. Um, uh, yeah. May I say one thing? Our whole system <laughs> just yeah. seems so incredibly corrupt um, that you, my friend will have a job forever. Okay. Um, it, it is just, it's incredible to me how how we can justify allowing misbehavior um, and paying for it because well it's cheaper than litigating it and and just me on my soapbox in my opinion that just seems outrageously stupid um, that that there are times that the law and and the way we do business in country in this country just lacks. Any form of common sense. Um, Man, you're preaching to the choir. I am in my third year of a litigation against the car dealership for improperly charging, I want to say, less than $1,000 in dealership fees 
We've already went through one appeal and we are getting ready to bring this case to trial. I can't tell you how many hours I have wrapped up into this. And I can't imagine how many hours the dealership has wrapped up into this. It makes absolutely no sense. The case, it does, it, 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 it defies logic to litigate this hard and this long. But at the end of the day, like I said, it's their prerogative to delay this and to make this as difficult and convoluted as possible in order to dissuade the claims of the consumers and to dissuade future litigation. I think it's pretty clear by now that that's not going to affect me or anybody in my office. Wow. Justice, you look Lord. like you wanted to ask a question. Well, no, I mean, I was just saying, nor should it dissuade you. I'm, I'm glad you're putting out that fight because, you know, we had some questions in here, you know, who's shadier, the insurance company or the dealer, though? And, uh, you know, geez, I don't know if anyone can answer that question because, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, I'm out here in California where insurance companies are just fleeing uh, faster than the population. So, you know, I look at that and I kind of go, you know, we were seeing insurance companies just like, forget it. We're not going to cover you. We're just leaving the state. And sounds familiar. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of look at this stuff and you go, where, where's the solution to to any of this? I mean, I, I think you're part of the solution here, but. I, I see some of these fines get levied, as you sort of mentioned earlier, like the fine is nothing to the dealer. Like, oh, here's $20,000. Yeah, here, here, go away. You know, you know, okay, I'll pay this one and this one and this one. But these 700 people I'm just taking advantage of. And so who cares? It's a cost of doing business to them. Yeah, it, it literally it's a line is. item, right? Exactly. Exactly. They'll make up for it elsewhere. Well, Joshua, I, I can't thank you enough for fighting the good fight and and spending a half an hour with us today um, and with our audience trying to uh, go over some of the things that you see um, and and how you're trying to correct, cor what's the word, correct this injustice that, that many consumers uh, have thrown against them. So thank you so much for being here. Justice, I know you're a little bit under the weather today. Thank you. Because God knows if I actually had to produce this, um, it, <laughs> it wouldn't have gone this well. So thanks thanks to both of you. Um, thank you, guys. Thank you guys for having me on and, and certainly for your efforts in elevating these issues. I mean, there's so few correspondents out there. There's such little information for the consumers. So any opportunity that presents itself to the consumers is a great opportunity. I do appreciate what you guys are doing. Well, thanks, Joshua. Yeah. We 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 truly appreciate what you're doing, and and so do your so do your clients down there in Florida, D.C., and next summer in Vermont. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks again, Joshua. Justice, thank you. Josh. Thank you. Thank you. I, care, think, guys. I think we'll be back. What tomorrow, Justice? We will be back tomorrow, and uh, back on electric tomorrow too. For those oh, who keep asking. Oh my God, it's a busy it's day. To be back tomorrow. to back. I know. Yeah. Terrific. Thanks again, Joshua. We'll Take see care, everybody guys. back here tomorrow at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, 8 a.m. in Anchorage, and 6 a.m. in Honolulu. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Bye.